Thank you, Sean, for reading our scripture. Thank you for being here tonight. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. We've got a good number here. A lot better weather tonight than we had last Sunday night, and so we're grateful to be able to assemble together. We're thankful to have visitors with us. As always, we encourage those who are visiting to come back to be with us at every opportunity that you have. It might be that you're here tonight, you're looking for a church home, and we would invite you to consider the work here. I know the elders would be more than happy to sit down, talk to you, and maybe discuss opportunities to serve in this congregation as well as in this community. We're looking at key chapters. Last Sunday night we were scheduled to look at Matthew 28 in order to try to keep pace with what we're doing. This morning we looked at Luke chapter 15, which we would have looked at tonight. So this evening we're going to back, I guess, step back a minute and look at Matthew 28 and think for a few minutes or two about what has been recorded for us by Matthew in the long ago. And as you look at Matthew chapter 28, you need to remember in our previous study in Matthew chapter 27, we talked about the death of Jesus. I want to begin tonight by talking about the reality of the Savior. Chapter 27 narrates for us the death of Christ. Christ's death on Calvary was by no means an accident. God in the long ago had foretold that His Son would come to earth and suffer and die to redeem us from sin. You remember Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah in a very vivid way talks about the suffering servant. And you remember he said he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and Isaiah said we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was wound, wounded for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Now let me just pause there for a minute. 750 years before Jesus ever died on Calvary, Isaiah wrote as if that event had already occurred. God was that certain that His Son would ultimately die for our sins. You remember Jesus as He struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying about the weight of the cross that lay before Him. Three times Jesus said, Not my will, but your will be done, prefacing that by saying, If it be possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. There was no other way. And so the Hebrew writer was correct in chapter 2, verse 9, when he said of Christ, He tasted death for every man. Before Jesus went to the cross, you remember in John chapter 17, He bowed to the Father, bowed in the presence of the Father, and bowed in prayer to the Father. And He said, in the long ago, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Matthew, in a very vivid way, talks about the trial, the crucifixion of Christ, and the events occurring following that occasion. Matthew said that the centurion who was present 
cried out in the long ago, truly this was the Son of God. No doubt, the events that unfolded before his eyes made a tremendous impression upon him. Just a few minutes earlier, the Lord had offered up his spirit unto the Father. He had committed his spirit into the hands of the Father. Note with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 27, what is said in verse 55. Many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to Him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Jos, and the mother of Zebedee's sons, that would be James and John. Matthew goes on to talk about how a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea came and requested the body of Jesus so that it might be buried. And so we have the events as they unfold with regard to the death and burial of Christ. So when you make the transition to chapter 28, the sad reality is the disciples, those who had followed in the footsteps of Jesus for about three, three and a half years, their leader, their master, their king, was now gone. In many respects, their hopes in their minds initially vanished with His death, didn't they? And so in Matthew chapter 28, we are introduced to the sad mourners. They have come to pay their respects to the slain Messiah, the one that they had loved, the one from whom they had learned so much. I think about Mary Magdalene. Luke tells us in chapter 8 of his gospel narrative that Mary had seven demons cast out. Imagine if you can how many of those people had been liberated, not just by the message of Jesus, but as, as a result also of His great work. And so Matthew tells us in chapter 28, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. We'll talk more about verse 2 and following in a moment. But here are the ladies that had ministered to Christ Luke tells us that these ladies had also supported the Lord in His work, financially speaking. And they've come to anoint His body, the embalming process. Now you remember during the earthly ministry of Christ, Jesus had foretold of His resurrection, hadn't He? For example, in John chapter 2, Jesus had said to the Jews of His day, Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews responded by saying, look, it's taken 46 years to build the, top, the temple and you're going to raise it up or build it again in three days? wasn't talking about the physical temple, but rather he was talking about the temple of his body. In Matthew 16, Jesus, you recall, when he was in the coast or the region, rather, of Caesarea Philippi, he had asked the disciples about his identity and they had shared with him the news of what some were saying about him. 
Some were saying he was John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But Jesus wanted to know what they thought about his identity. Peter responded by saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him for that and said, flesh and blood had not revealed it unto him, but his Father in heaven. And then interestingly, Matthew tells us, following that great confession and the fact that Jesus had promised to build the church upon that bedrock statement, Jesus then told the disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the chief priests, elders, and scribes. And he said he would be killed and then raised again the third day. How did Peter respond to that? Do you remember? Peter said, far be it from you, Lord. In other words, this will never happen. And the Lord rebuked Peter for that. Jesus had talked about his death. He had spoken of his resurrection. But I'm not sure the message resonated in their minds. I'm not sure they fully grasped the magnitude of what he was saying. So here are the sad mourners. They've come to pay their respects to the slain Messiah. But then note with me, if you would, in the second place tonight, I want you to consider with me for a moment or two the revelation about the Savior. I read a moment ago verse 2, where a great earthquake had occurred. An angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now you remember in one of the other gospel accounts, the women as they made their way to the tomb, they began to question, who will roll away the stone from the mouth of the tomb? Well, when they got there, it wasn't an issue. And so there was a divine announcement. Matthew records for us what was said and what was seen and not seen in the tomb. Verse 3. Matthew said regarding the angel, His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now listen to this. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Now I think about being in the presence of an angelic being. I have never been in the presence of an angel. I've never met anyone that has. I have the assurance that there's coming a day when I will hear the voice of the archangel. It's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that all of us will hear the voice of the archangel at the second coming of Christ. But we have never been in the presence of angelic beings. And yet, these ladies were. And they were told to observe the empty tomb. Now you think about what we're reading here. The significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are a lot of people in our world today, in their minds, the resurrection was nothing more than a hoax. 
Matter of fact, we're going to read the efforts of some to try to undermine the resurrected Christ. The fact of the matter is, Jesus was raised from the dead. Christianity either stands or falls upon the basis of the resurrected Christ, doesn't it? You remember Luke said in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus presented Himself alive over the space of 40 days by many infallible proofs. In other words, they had the opportunity to see the resurrected Lord. They had the opportunity to listen to the resurrected Lord. In Acts chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and following, over and over again, a lot of emphasis is placed upon the resurrection of Christ. I wonder why that was. I wonder why it was that the Holy Spirit directed the apostles directed the inspired writers to convey to the human family the events of the resurrection. I said a minute ago, Christianity either stands or falls on the basis of the resurrected Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul spends a lot of time emphasizing the resurrection of Jesus. And he points out that all of the events that occurred during His ministry, His death, His burial, His resurrection, were in accordance with the Scriptures. And He said, following His death and resurrection, He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by above 500 brethren at once, of which the greater part, Paul said, remained until that period of time or at that point in time. He said some had fallen asleep. After that, he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. And the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, then he appeared to him, last of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says in effect, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, number one, our faith is vain. Number two, if the resurrection of Christ is not true, our faith is vain, our preaching is vain, and then we're still in sin. You see, Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 4 said that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, He delivered the devil a death blow. He destroyed him that had the power of death. As a result of that, we have hope. Matter of fact, John tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus holds the keys to the cemeteries. There's coming a day when the Lord will come and the cemeteries will be opened. The dead will rise, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we have a living hope that living hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because of that, he said, we have an inheritance. It's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away. He said, it is reserved in heaven for you. Matthew is chronicling for us the events of the resurrection because of its importance to the Christian religion. Without it, 
we have no hope, do we? And so, in Matthew chapter 28, we look inside the tomb with these ladies, and we see what they saw. They saw an empty tomb, didn't they? The Lord Jesus was raised from the dead and later ascended to heaven. And the Bible says He now sits at the right hand of Almighty God where He reigns with all authority. So as we think about the announcement and His appearance to these ladies, drop down and note if you would. In verse 7, the angel said, Go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. Indeed, He's going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I've told you. Mark said that they were specifically instructed to tell Peter, weren't they? wonder why that was. Because Peter had denied Him, hadn't he? Peter would be reclaimed by the Lord. And so in verse 8, the Bible says, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring His disciples' word. Note verse 9. As they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. Jesus then said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So on the one hand, you have genuine delight. On the other, Matthew tells us there were some who doubted. Drop down note if you would. In verse 16, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw Him, the Bible says they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Initially, Jesus appeared to the apostles, to His disciples. There was a fellow by the name of Thomas who wasn't present on that occasion. And Thomas, you remember, John said, made the statement that unless he could see the evidence unless he could put his finger into the hand of the Lord and put his hand into the side of Jesus, he said, I will not believe. Eight days later, Jesus appeared. And Jesus said, all right, Thomas, put your hand out. Take your finger and put it in my hand. And take your hand and put it into my side. And the Bible says that Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. The doubt swept away by the reality of the resurrected Christ. Back up and note something if you would. As these events unfold, you remember back in chapter 27, Joseph, as I mentioned a moment ago, had requested the body of Jesus. And the religious leaders, they knew something about, I noted John chapter 2 a moment ago, the Jews that doubted what he said about destroying this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. So note if you would in verse 62, on the next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that while he was alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. 
Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. Drop down verse 11, chapter 28. The Lord Jesus has now been raised from the dead. And the Bible tells us while they were going, that is the disciples, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a, lay, a large sum of money to the, uh, to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Now you talk about a rogue group of guys. These are supposed to be the religious leaders of the people. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, for example, in Luke chapter 8, He talked about the seed falling into various types of hearts, one of which was the honest and good heart. These guys didn't have honest hearts and they didn't have good hearts, did they? Can you imagine? These guys were as corrupt as I don't know what. And so they said, tell them. His disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Let me ask this question. Let's just say hypothetically, well, let's just back up and think about their line of reasoning. Do you really think that the apostles... These men that will be ambassadors of the Lord's church. People that we read about in the book of Acts. Do you really believe in your heart of hearts that they would be willing to suffer and die at the expense of the resurrected Christ if it were nothing more than a hoax? Would you die for something that was nothing more than a hoax? I wouldn't. These guys put their lives on the line. And the idea that this was nothing more than a hoax, let me tell you what, that reeks. And so in Matthew chapter 28, they went on to say, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they, take, they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. In other words, they bribed them, didn't they? Dishonest. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ was indeed raised from the dead. That is a cardinal doctrine of the New Testament. And I encourage you to read the book of Acts and you note, I would encourage you to just go through the book of Acts and underline every time the writer, that being Luke, mentions the preaching and teaching that took place. And note, if you would, specifically the references to the resurrection of Jesus. You will be amazed at how often that message was preached and taught from Jerusalem to Athens. They emphasized the resurrected Lord. 
Thirdly, and very quickly, our time's gone. Note, if you would now, the request of the Savior. In verse 18, Jesus said, All authority or all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. First, the command to evangelize. Jesus identifies the mission. They were to go into all the world. That's the scope of their ministry. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had told the apostles that they were, they had been instructed to tarry in Jerusalem. And He said that they would be endued with power from on high and they would be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Read Acts and note the birth of the church, the infancy of the Lord's church, and then the phenomenal growth. Over and over again, you see the church growing and abounding. Why? Because they took to heart the message of Christ. There was conviction and there was courage. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles were literally called on the carpet, Peter and John, because they had been preaching the resurrected Christ. They had healed a man at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem. They were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Christ. And Peter and John responded by saying, Look, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. Their conviction was such, they believed the world needed to hear the good news of the gospel. Paul summed it up in Colossians chapter 1 when he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. They believed that message. And they believed that they had a message that was worth sharing. The Great Commission, we call it. Sadly, the Great Commission has in many quarters become the Great Omission. We ought to be sharing this message. There's so many opportunities around us to share the gospel of Christ. Because listen, the bottom line is, unless people obey the gospel, unless they have the blood of Christ availing in their life, they're lost. They are, as Paul said, without hope, without God in this world. The difference maker is Jesus. He is the only one who can save. So, they were commanded to evangelize, but then also they were commanded to edify. In verse 20, Jesus said, Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The idea of edification, building up the church. When people are born into the body of Christ, they're identified by Peter as babes in Christ. So they have to grow and mature. And what Jesus is saying is they must be edified and they must be equipped to serve me. It takes time, doesn't it? The only, way that, the only way that people can stay strong in the Lord is to be taught. We've got to lay a foundation and then build upon that foundation. Paul talks about the danger of being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. If people aren't if they're not grounded in the fundamentals of the faith, they're open prey for the devil. So Jesus here in His closing remarks says, number one, you need to evangelize. Number two, you need to edify. Those words are still true today. The church of Christ 
has the responsibility of evangelizing a lost and dying world. And then when people are born into the family of God, they must be taught the things that Jesus commanded. And that would include a number of things, from the work of the church to the worship of the church, etc. Tonight as we conclude our study in Matthew 28, I want to ask you, are you a child of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? The good news of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, that He was raised again the third day. It's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The beauty of obeying the gospel is all your sins can be washed away. This past week, wasn't the snow beautiful? It's really pretty. As I think about the beautifully white snow, I'm reminded of what Isaiah said centuries ago. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. All your sins can be washed away tonight. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name before others, be buried with Him in baptism, rise to walk in newness of life, to leave here knowing that all your sins are being washed away, that you're a part of the body of Christ, and that you're now living in hope of life eternal. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, could we pray with you and for you? God wants you to come home, doesn't He? The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Could we pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing?